Alright, now we're rolling. Okay, now we're back. We had a little technical okay, difficulty. Okay, yes. This never happened. None of you saw or are privy to. But we are back again for another episode of Cinema Discovery Project. And we are steeped deep into October. We are midway through October and... Yeah, it's been a quick month, and I've been just consuming massive amounts of horror movies as I do every October. Yeah, and I have been consuming massive amounts of wedding cake because I've been to nice. three weddings in in this past month, and oh my and goodness. I don't, I'm done, I'm done with it, <laughs> I'm done. No, but I, it's been some good times. Of I, I had my own wedding, and then a friend of my of my my wife, uh, we went to their wedding. It was really nice, and then my brother got married. So and he was in and it was in a big damn old factory. It was it was it was it was mega. It's a mega wedding. So that was nice. that was fun. That sounds that sounds fantastic. Uh yeah, I um, guess so. Yeah, yeah, congratulations on all of those things for all of those people including sure. yourself. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a that's, that's just too much socializing for my I, I, I'll be honest with you by the time we got about to eight o'clock um, at night. Uh, you know, a wedding takes all day, and I'm in, I was in the wedding, so I was really involved from you know like nine in the morning till all the way at ten o'clock at night. So by the t- end of the day, you're kind of like like I got to about eight o'clock. I was like, I'm kind of tired, Can't, but you know, I wanted to stay for my brother. It was his night, so we yeah, course, we stayed the whole course. time. Um, yeah, I went to one wedding last year. My cousin got married. And, yeah, it was like an all-day thing. Not all day, but for me it was all day. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was in, it was out there in the woods. There was terrible Wi-Fi and just, <laughs> just I'm not a big, uh, I'm not a big party man myself. Not a big dancer, not a big uh, go-getter. Um, obviously, my main thing is um, watching movies and then talking about it with other people. That's, oh, my, yes. that's my idea of oh, a good it time. It is a good time. <laughs> I tried to do that with somebody, some random person while we were staying at the hotel, and I think uh, everybody else was getting bored, and we were just, me and this person were just having great conversation. I'm like, guys, what is, you guys have lost the art of conversation? Jeez, get off your phones, you know, but. I know, I know, seriously. It's, it's, sometimes it's difficult to um, socialize with people after a while if you haven't done it for a while. I find that to be my issue. Um. Also, it's tough for me not to just, you know, go directly to relating everything to movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm the type of person who walks around quoting movies in normal conversations. Oh, yeah, I've, I've learned most of my life do. lessons from watching movies and TV. Oh, who hasn't? I mean, those are the best life lessons. I mean, those are the only life lessons that I think anyone has ever... It's much you know, easier to watch somebody else do something stupid on, on a movie. Than yourself. And, and that's how I learned that, you know, drinking and driving sucks. You know, like you shouldn't do that. Oh yeah, no, no, because you could at kill all. somebody just, else, or you know, run into like a horror movie character, like in you know, um, you know, how did I know? How do I? Uh, I know what you did last summer. Yeah, you know, like it could, you know, anything could happen. So a hook man could come after you. So that kept me from drinking and driving. I don't life. You know what also keeps me? Uh, you know, also another life lesson is don't listen to charismatic preachers who come out of nowhere and that leads oh, us directly into what we're going to be talking about oh on man this episode. what a coincidence and this is my pick of 
I guess, pick of the podcast, pick of the pick week, of the week. pick of the episode. Um, and this is The Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lawton and starring um, Robert Mitchum, a mutual f- favorite of Stephen and yes. I's actor. It uh, also stars... Um, um, Shelley Winters. What's her? Shelley Winters, Lillian Gish, um, James Gleason. Peter Graves is in the movie for one scene, and people will probably know Peter Graves most no- notoriously from uh, Mission Impossible and Airplane. Yeah. And he was also in Stalag 17. But, um, yeah, I was like, is that Peter Graves when I was rewatching the movie? I'm like, yes, it is Peter Graves. Um but this is old, well, not always, but over the last several years, this has consistently been one of my personal favorite movies. And the reason being is just how un, unlike any of the films that it was co- that were like it at the time, and just how like consistently contemporary it still remains in many of its facets. And it's traditionally considered a film noir, not typically a. Um, you know, a horror film specifically, but to me, it's a horror film. I, I think. I think I, if it's, I think if you added maybe some different music to it, it would come over a lot scarier. Um, right. I would say a lot of the. I mean, there, there are a lot of this movie that doesn't have music at all, but um, I think if you if you 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 reared up some like scarier music, it would seem more like a horror movie because the scenario is terrifying. I mean, it's about a man that basically, you know, proclaims to be a, a preacher, a man of God, but uses that as a facade to get close to uh, um, single women, you know, widows, and kills them, and yeah, to, runs and runs off. Yeah. And that's the one thing that gravitated me towards it initially when I saw it years ago. And what is I, what is also I find so unique about the Night of the Hunter is. You don't really hear about this movie until you get into certain like, like cinephile film circles. I think like it just feels like a hidden treasure to me. Yeah, and it's that's one of the things that where that's why I always recommend it because I don't think people know about this movie, and I think they should. One because it stars Robert Mitchum, who I think is a fan, fantastic actor. Like I said, one of my favorites, but also directed by Charles Lawton, who I think is one of the best actors of all time. And this is the only film he ever directed, and a lot of people believe it to be because at, when this movie came out, it was not well received. It's one of those movies where, we, like by modern consensus, it's considered a classic or an all-time great or whatever you want to call it. But and but in the time it came out, you know, it got critically panned. The same thing with Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, which is now considered one of the best movies of all time, it got critically panned when it came out, and. And what is interesting is people think that he didn't want to direct other films because of it, because of its negative response. But but I was reading up on it, and basically it was because he preferred to direct um, the theater versus movies. He felt it was easier to direct theater and easier to uh, work within the theater structure than it was to work within the movie structure, which are like two completely different fields in terms of what you can do and manipulate and change and all that kind of stuff. But Night of the Hunter for me was one of the earlier Criterion editions that I ever bought when I started collecting Criterions quite uh, coincidentally religiously. And, yeah. And, Stephen, how many times have you seen this movie? Uh, I would say it's I would say it's probably my third time seeing it. 
so I, I I know it pretty pretty well. I mean, it's not a, not a, right. not a very complicated story. It's a pretty no. Pretty, it's a short film. Yeah, it's too. pretty short. Pretty short. Um, it's pretty straightforward. It, it, but it's um, I think the thing that stands out mostly about it is it's the photography. I think it's a beautifully oh, yeah. uh, photographed movie. Uh, a lot of a lot of great still shots. Uh, you know, great great contrast. Um, I think that's why it gives, why it's, you know part of film noir is because of its 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 aesthetic. Yeah. And the cinematographer was Stanley Cortez, who's the guy who shot the movie. And this movie is also based off of um, a book, I believe, called The Night of the Hunter, a novel. Um, the author was Davis Grubb, and it was adapted by um, by Charles Lawton and. James Agee, I think that's, or Agee, I don't know, not how you pronounce it, either <laughs> way, either way, um, yeah, so without further ado, you know, for those of you who haven't been keeping up with all these episodes, uh, we will be spoiling the heck out of this movie, um, so be forewarned for that, and like we said, it's not that long of a movie, clocks in at about an hour and 32 minutes or so. And it's a pretty straightforward story, but I feel like it's rich in its themes, and we'll you know we'll dive into that when we when we get into it. Um, yeah, so it. it starts off uh, as most you know horror movies or film noir start off with a murder. murder, and I believe I believe it starts off, and there's like this this dolly shot of this close up of. Uh, just these kids discovering this dead body of this, you know, of a woman. Well, they're, pl- they're playing the hide and seek. Yeah, and that's how they yeah. discover the body. Yeah. And there's a great dolly shot close-up of the woman's, like, you know, you don't see her whole corpse, but you just see her, like, her her legs. And she's in, she's in one of those basement entrances, I believe, yeah. from the outside going in, like those stair those stairwells yeah. that go down. And, yeah, they're just, like, you know, to see a dead body so right away i find this film fascinating in the sense that it's already breaking the idea of children losing like a sense of grace or a sense of innocence of discovering death right away like it establishes that right away i think that's just a defining theme in the movie Yeah, and for a movie that came out in 1955 this was a pretty like you know, heavy subject to be like going pretty straightforward with it. I mean, they're not really pulling punches. I mean, kids discover yeah, a dead body, I, you know, and you just kind of settle, I settle know, with it. Yeah. Yeah. By a modern perspective, it doesn't seem no. as, um, you know, unusual, you know what I mean? Cause I mean, there's, we hear about murders and deaths in the news every day. Yeah. There are people you know, witnessing and going through like such terrible things, but this is like a 1950s like mentality. This is like post-war, um, the post-war mentality. You're de- you're dealing with what I like to call the 1950s like Leave It to Beaver era of yeah. of America. You know, we're, spo- we're the supposed suburbs to be we're, and white America yeah, and all that. Yeah, we're good supposed stuff. to be like you know, not talking about all the bad things that actually happen. You're supposed to be forgetting about that stuff. I know. Yeah, forget about, you know, like the rampant racism and misogyny yeah. that exists in society, but you too can live in this wonderful suburb community with white picket fences and, and, and I think know, we've, uh, two kids and a dog. Yeah, yeah. We, we've talked nonsense. about, I think, I can't remember which movie we were we were talking about, but 
we mentioned in another uh, movie where this kind of compares to something like Nicholas Ray's um, Bigger Than Life, where yeah. it's very much... Im- Which came out, like, I think came out in, like, 1956, 1957, yeah. in that era. Let me look it up. But, um, yeah, uh, and, it, and I put The Night of the Hunter in that same category yeah. of movies that came out in the 1950s just like saying that, yeah, the world isn't so nice. Yeah. The world isn't so good. Um, and and I think that's what this movie's commenting on. But what is interesting that the movie is set in the 1930s. So it's not set in... Um, you know, it's not set in the it's 1950s. More, it's, the, it's still saying... Yeah, like, it's like the Depression era. It's like the depression, the depression era, but it's saying like this type of evil, this type of stuff has always been happening. Just because we live in this post-war utopia, if you will, I put utopia in air quotes. You can't see it, of course, but doesn't mean that like that that this stuff doesn't exist. Yeah. And yeah, Bigger Than Life came out in 1956. Because I wanted to see if Rebel Without a Cause, another film of that of the same ilk, if you will, I think came out in 1955. So. It was also Nicholas Ray. But like I said, right away, the world is, you know, kind of shattered for not only the these this group of children at the beginning of this movie, but I think for us as audience members, you're already establishing that this movie is dealing with murder and death and just evil and stuff like that. And what we get after that is I believe we get our introduction to um, Robert Mitchum's character, who... His name is uh, Harry Powell, and I had, and he's driving along in a car. I think we get like a, like almost like a wide, like, like establishing helicopter shot of him driving across the countryside, and he's in the area of the like Ohio River Valley type place. He's just kind of like traversing that area, and what we learn right away, yet again, this movie is straightforward. This guy may not be all there. When it comes to his uh, his his his, his yeah he his he, he spends a lot of time <laughs> his thought process yeah he spends a lot of time talking to himself talking to God um, you know and you know you can take that as you will but we know that this guy is a murderer so um, so he you know he uses the talking to God as his kind of mechanism for deciding things kind of like uh, Two Face flipping a coin um, also kind of like his rationale yeah. Is that like, oh, God's tell? I know he's like, he's like, you know, you, but, but, Lord, you you keep guiding them. In, you can, it's like fate. You keep guiding them towards well, me. And yeah, I keep, you know, it's you can say like at first when you first watch this movie, you have to you have to decide whether you think that he's kind of using it as like a uh, shield to keep people from thinking, or it's just part of his mechanism uh, as a psychopath because there are types of psychopaths that um. Are religious, and then they look at certain types of people as um, not part of this world. They they direct like, for, you know, and with this character, he very much doesn't like promiscuous women. Um, so he as a as a religious he, I, yeah. thing, he he wants to get rid of the r- promiscuous women. Um, I mean, to I mean, yeah, to me specifically, I don't think it's so much a rationale as the fact I think he's you know he's psychotic yeah I mean he's you know he is so he's, he's not hi- you don't think killer. you don't think he's hiding behind the religion you just think he's a religious nut yes okay that was how I okay. read it when I first saw it that's kind of how I read it now I I, because... I don't know I, I, it's hard for me to decide because I think it 
I think he's definitely a fraud, though. Like, he's a fraud who knows he's a fraud, but he also believes his own bullshit. I guess, yeah. I mean, I it's hard to tell because I, part of me wants to think that he's completely using it as a shield and he knows it's – he doesn't actually believe anything he says. But then his motivations seem to be in link with somebody that's obsessed with religious, um, you know, traditionalism. Um, right. So – Like staunch traditionalism, yeah. which is something – I mean – Maybe projecting myself on here, but which is something I, I loathe entirely, yes. because <laughs> because I think it's just, and you see, and I th- I think specifically how we get into it is you see why it's so bad literally in the movie, yeah. because it leads to these people, it leads to these people committing acts under the precedence in their own mind that they're doing the right thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? We see that in the people who are gullibly duped by him, and we and how, you know, how they turn later on in the movie. But getting back into it before we go before we go too far down and we get too go down too many avenues, um, what we what we also then see is while he's leave while he's driving away, is that he he's talking to God. I think he's committed. 12 or 13 he, he says he, he doesn't point. really know he does he's lost count basically you think he's lost count <laughs> and what we come to know is that he he has a switchblade knife that i think he does all of his murders yeah. with or at least that's his favorite weapon of choice when it comes to committing these murders and i initially thought that he was doing it for money but i wasn't sure if that was only in this in this instance and for this specific um occasion yeah. for this specific plot so um i want to say we then learn that um i think the, is this when we cut to the uh, to our well, two like a child protagonist or do we first know the he, fact that he gets sent to prison yeah he gets well first he get he doesn't he go to that um first he goes to that show where that woman dances doesn't he doesn't he go to that show mm. where that woman dances and that's where you get this idea that he he has a problem with promiscuous women you know he right. shows this woman she's dancing on the stage and you can see this is when you get the first shot of his hands um where his hands yes. his hand says hate on it um yeah and the other hand says love but you this is the first you see right. the first hand it says hate. he puts it in his pocket and then he like rips open the pocket when he's like he's upset um and then i think from there is when we get our protagonists after that yeah the two little kids yeah. uh john and pearl and they're two like little uh, two, they're two like innocent children whose lives get shattered. Yeah, basically right away. In well, and and not by him, not by uh, Mitchum yet, but not by him specifically. But in this very in the very first scene we see them in, um, basically their father portrayed by Peter Graves, who's in this like one one or one or two scenes or three scenes of the movie. He's just robbed a bank, and he's got like $10,000 in cash. He's being pursued by the cops, and he needs a place to hide it. And But he, but we don't initially see where he hides it because it, it cuts to the cops like arriving and then him being taken yeah. away and all that stuff. But he, pro- he tells his children, you know, promise me never to tell anyone where this money is. And the cops come, and he's, and they, they, you know, they arrest him. They knock him aside, but in that moment... Um, the older one, John, is kind of traumatized by what he's witnessing, by what he's seeing. I think Pearl is too young to really, truly comprehend the trauma that's currently happening. Yeah. 
And I think she, I think that's a kind of a running thing throughout the film is that she's too young to kind of process what's going on, yeah. while John is old enough to realize what's going on. Yeah. So his father gets taken away, and what we also learn is that uh, Harry Paul gets arrested for a car he's stolen, and he's going to get put in prison, and just lo and behold, his cellmate is uh, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is the Peter Graves character, um, who who I don't, I don't know why someone who's, who's getting 30 days for uh, stealing a car and someone who's getting, like, you know, on trial for murder... Is gonna get like, yeah. like is got sentenced to you know it, to it, death it, for murder. It, it, are in the same cell. Yeah, it's, it's a little convenient, but <laughs> it's happenstance. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Peter Graves is Ben Harper, so it's John Harper and um, Pearl Harper, and then we get Shelley Winters' character. We get introduced to Willa Harper, um, but yeah, so they're in the same cell together, and and just Harry Harry hears him talking in his sleep. And just talking about the money and stuff like that. So he's trying to like he's trying to prod him into telling him where the money is, um, and he never does. Yeah, he never he, he never does. Yeah, figure well, it he out. he thinks that he's trying to get it out of him in his sleep, and so then he like kind of punches him out. You know, punches out. Yeah, he does. And then uh, he's like, "Nah, I'm just. I heard you. I heard you talking about like Bible verses, and I thought I would I would chime in or something like that." Um, but then he he starts to you know convince him of you know he starts to slowly like coax some information out of him enough to 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 know where he needs to go. Um, I guess you know find out where he's from. Yeah, I, but he like I said he never he never tells him even. Well, even he never tells he him where the money is, but he him. does tell him that the kids know. Or he tells he, him he, that... he knows that the kids know where the money is. Yeah. Yes. Yes, he does. So when he when Harry gets out, you know where where he's making a beeline yeah, to he's going. is to is to him, yeah. and it was to where his family is, and and when he arrives is when we get probably the most well known aspect of the movie, which I think became more famous in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, the whole story of you know right hand left hand yeah. love and hate, and. And, but but before he arrives, we we see that the children aren't having the best of time. Wow. We see that they're being like bullied by the other kids. Terrible kids in this movie, yeah. by the way. Just awful. Just bullying them that their father, you know, is is gonna get is gonna get executed or got executed, and they're just picking on them constantly. Well, they come up with some really song terrible. about hanging them, hanging. Yeah, they yeah. do. And then they, and then what the sad thing is is that the. The daughter, the little girl, Pearl, starts singing it, and she doesn't even realize. Yeah, on their way home, on their way home, they go by where the mother's working at that like candy shop, I think, or general shop, store, cafe place. Yeah, and and then she starts singing it, and then the boy's like, "Yeah, you probably shouldn't be singing that." It's like you're not old enough <laughs> to sing again, that. Yeah, just it shows like she's kind of not really. She's too young. She's, she's not she's aware really, of anything. Really she just does things. She's just right. influenced by people. She's innocent. Yeah. You know, she's really, really innocent. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, and we don't get, before we get that, that kind of left hand, right hand thing, we get our real introduction to, um, Harry is, I think his shadow shows up when they're like in bed late at night 
and it's just the silhouette of him. Yeah. And it's really, really an amazing way to introduce just a terrible, shadowy, dark force into a movie. It's just, it's just show, show their shadow. Yeah. And in the way it, a shadow can tower over someone is, is really kind of an interesting, you know, theme thing. You know what I mean? Um, I remember the first time I ever saw that was when I saw um, the Orson Welles film, The Stranger. Yeah. There's literally a scene where the the wife character is lying in bed and Orson Welles' character is in the doorway and the shadow just, like, consumes yeah. her entirely. And it's like, oh, that visual storytelling, <laughs> it's amazing. Um Coincidentally, the same cinematographer who did this movie, I think, also shot Orson Welles' The Magnificent Ambersons. So that's that's kind of all that right. Orson Welles connection. It all goes back to Orson Welles for of course. me. Of course, of course. Um, so we see that when they're lying in bed together at night, and then that's when we get to the next day where he, where he's, where Harry starts ingratiating himself to the townsfolk. Yeah. Just slipping in like a serpent, yeah, and, and, and just yeah, and, infiltrating. And, and so the the um, friends of the family who she yeah, works with quotes. start to kind of uh, egg her, like you know, try to say, "Look, you you need a man. You can't take care of them two kids alone." I know. I I hate that. So I that, like that theme. Just and I was going to say that, that was that's one of the that, main themes of the movie. Is is how? But it's one of the main themes of the movie. It, I hate it because I hate when people say that. But it's like also like, damn, how contemporary is well, that? The, this idea. Oh yeah. Of, well, the thing is, is is by the end of the movie, it shows you the opposite. It, so it, so yeah. it comes to a point where it it's sh- trying to let you know that 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 that's not the case. Um, you know that that that, ble- that leads back to what I was saying earlier about you know how much I hate this idea of traditionalism. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like and and this is saying it plain as day. Yeah. Where these people are basically peer pressuring the Shelley Winters character, saying, "Hey, when are you going to get married again? Hey, you know the kids need a father. You know, you know, you know, da 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 da. All that nonsense that like there's something wrong with you know single motherhood yeah. or, or there's something wrong with." With a child who grows up without two parents, or any of that nonsense that we're we've been told that we're told over generations, and it's really like it really is kind of fascinating. This is 1955, and like I said, you know, if this movie's kicking kicking back against the whole traditional society the way it is, you know, it's really saying that hey, maybe maybe it's not the best thing because because you know there's this evil lurking out there that can just you know, penetrate your life if you're just trying to fit into these societal norms. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes those aren't the best things. And and the whole story, and what really gets them is the story about left hand, right hand is, you know, is another theme that I think that is very, not only contemporary, but it's a, it's a constant theme throughout cinema is the battle of good and evil. We see that constantly yeah. throughout so many movies, so many television series and all that kind of stuff and yet again we see it right here where there's where there's somebody who's pointing that out but he's also you know he's evil incarnate in my opinion oh yeah yeah um so so there's another scene that happens after that where they're at a picnic and and it's kind of like a social gathering. I think this is what you were referring to when they were prodding the Shelley yeah. Winters character. Do you know? Go talk to him. Go see what he's all about. Yeah. Go see if he's gonna, does he like children? Does it do that? All this kind of stuff. And and she does do that. And they kind of and he plays in the way Harry plays it. He just he knows how to manipulate people 
very, very well. He knows how gullible these people are. He knows how gullible and desperate a lot of these people are. And he plays the religious angle because a lot of people just fall just fall head over heels into religion without really considering, you know, the consequences. Yeah. Or considering, like, other variables that are, you know, outside of it. They just fall into that box. And he plays them. And and they hit it off. And and what ends up happening is that, one, John knows this guy's he's full of, he's full of crap. Yeah. He knows that he's he, he doesn't quite trust him. He doesn't know why right away, but he doesn't quite trust him. And Pearl, but 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 Harry knows that he can get to the mother through Pearl. So there are scenes where he's interacting with her that get him that that make him seem like, oh, he's a great father. Yeah. You know what I mean? He could be he could be a great father because he's so he's so caring with Pearl and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, this this scenario, you know, kind of reminds me of a newer film. It must have took a lot of influence <laughs> is that recent film that went to Netflix, Devil All the Time. Oh, you know yes. where you have a lot of yeah. you know a movie about how religious um, that traditionalism um, you know is is kind of the whole wolf in sheep's clothing you know that they, they use that that facade that of of purity as a way to do do evil acts. Um, well, he's kind of like a televangelist. Yeah, basically. You ever see these yeah. big time televangelists now with their multi billion dollar <laughs> churches? Yeah. And yet they still keep asking for money, even though they're like a multi-million dollar like machine, yeah. business machine. Yeah. And it's like, like, come on. They've made movies about that, too. I think of um, the movie uh, was Elmer Gantry, um, the th- where, where the, um, with Burt Lancaster, where he's like a, a traveling preacher, but he knows his act is, is, is BS, yeah. and he's just doing it to dupe people. Um, yeah, it came out in 1960, starring Burt Lancaster, um, and he got. Yeah, I think he won the Oscar for that film. That's not one I've. That's not yes. one I've seen. No, it's there's a Blu-ray for it. I think available through Olive. Uh, it's um, Kino. I think Kino. Um, I watched it recently, um, because um, the Criterion Channel had like a whole collection of Burt Lancaster movies, and I was just marathoning Burt Lancaster movies, and it happened to be in there. Um, yeah, it's from Kino. But I'm just, before I get off on the tra- on that track, but yeah, there's been a lot of movies about traveling preachers and duping people and all that kind of stuff. And it it take and it like it's taken right from real life. Oh right yeah, from real life onto the screen. So he's doing he's under this guise as a preacher, and he's riling up and getting involved with the people where he's having like um, I don't know if it was you would call it a a church service, or if you would call it a, a cult meeting, <laughs> but it's like some would say it's, it's just, one in the same. <laughs> yeah, some would say that, but just the way in which it's presented is he's standing up. He's stand. He he's standing up um, in front of everyone, and and there and he's just like preaching and stuff like that. And also, I think this is where I don't know if they. If if they got married yet, or if this happens before they get married, um, but basically Willa, portrayed by Shelley Winters, is just like confessing confessing how terrible she is as a human being, how she is the reason why her husband robbed a bank and he's dead and went to prison and all that kind of stuff, and 
yet again, it's playing on the idea of misogyny and patriarchy and how toxic and how you know awful that is and how it makes people believe they are the victims of other people's actions yeah. when they're not where it's really those people are the ones who did who did who did those things because they're the bad person not because you're the one who drove them to do bad things yeah. it's kind of like gaslighting it, yeah Basically, i was going to say yeah. harry paul is kind of gaslighting yeah. her and gaslighting the people in in the town to believing stuff that's to believing stuff that he wants them to believe yeah and, and but before then um he tells before they get married, he he tells John that they are getting married. Harry does, and John basically calls him out right away. Yeah, and that contention is is there, like obviously throughout the whole movie, but in this early part, it's 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 still there consistently. Um, there's there's one scene where it's a it's a transition where Pearl is cutting up the the money into Jeez. um. Uh, and this, I think, is also after they get married. Um, and I'll get to the marriage scene uh, um, soon because I thought that their marriage night scene is very yeah, fascinating yeah. as well. Messed up, but fascinating. Um, and Pearl is cutting up the money into paper dolls, y- basically. Yeah, yeah. And John catches her, and they're trying to get all the money back into what now we know where the money is, is hidden inside the doll. And what is interesting is up to that point in the film, we didn't know where the money was. We know that the kids knew where it was, but we weren't quite sure where it was. Yeah. Harry himself told Willa that, oh yeah, you know, he told me that he uh, he threw it in the river. Yeah. So so that was been the lie that he's been going on to to. to Make his intentions seem like well, I mean, they're more pure, where in fact he's just in for the. He money. knows that the the father knew that the only person he could trust with the secret was somebody like his children, because when you're that innocent, something like a promise actually matters. Um, you know, to adults, money is more important than that promise. <laughs> you know, like to a lot of adults, at least, um, they're gonna go after that money. They don't care because that guy's dead. Oh yeah, that guy's dead now. Who cares? Who cares about that promise? You know, like I'm gonna. Oh yeah. yeah, but the kids keep. John has to keep reminding Pearl to keep that promise because she's she she's the weak link, and Harry knows he's the she's the weak link. Yeah. Harry also knows that the mother is the weak link, but she he I think he knows that she doesn't know where that money is. Yeah. Um, and but I I do want to backtrack and I do want to talk about the the wedding night scene because they do get married and then they have a wedding night scene. And this is where I think, um, the, the gaslighting and projection of self-loathing really starts for the Shelley Winters character. Um, because she's thinking it's going to be a traditional wedding night. Oh yeah. Going in, you know, it's wedding night and now it's time to, to, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Consummate, consummate the marriage. Consummate the marriage. And so he's in the bed already, and she comes in with, like, you know, a nightgown. You know, she you know, looks kind of nice. And and as soon as he sees her, he's like, do you think – what do you think I'm going to do? You think this, you thought you think you would come into this bed and lay with me, basically? You know, like – you know, and, um, you know, she just kind of walks away. And, um, yeah, it's <laughs> – He's like, he yeah, goes into this whole spiel about like, you know, 
do you want to have more kids? You know, and he's like, she's like, no. And he's like, well, then why do we need to, basically, why do we need to have sex? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that should only be for having kids. Which is, which is in line directly with a lot of religious belief yeah. that, you know, that sex for pleasure is a sin yeah. and that sex should only be for procreation. And there is, I think this was years ago because I studied a lot of religion, but I think in, it's either Catholicism or Christianity, you know, I'm not an expert. It's been years since I've studied this where, you know, when you get married in the church or something like that, you have to like basically promise to be willing to have children. Yeah. Because I think the whole idea of marriage or the core belief of marriage is to procreate. You know, the idea of, you know, two loving people coming together, using that love to create new life and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the idea of, you know, sex for pleasure is completely thrown out the window. Um, and, and but in this scene, he's kind of berating her for even for even having that idea. And it leads, I think, to, you know, it just bleeds directly into his misogyny and, you know, his hate for women, like you mentioned earlier. And basically, this is where she starts hating herself and believing that she is, you know, you know, she's a terrible person and all that kind of stuff. And and it kind of continues right away to to the point where she looks like she starts acting as if she's been like, like magically, like in like uh like enchanted enchanted or she's in a trance yeah or something she, like she that. like the way she starts talking and acting and the way she starts kind of like neglecting her kids and whatnot not believing john when he says that he that you know that harry keeps asking about the money and all that kind of stuff and it, it's just kind of well, the she, breakdown of her character i was gonna say in, in a way she becomes just as bad as him i mean in a way because it, it, it not not as bad but like she's she's now putting her kids in danger uh, and kind of like. Yeah. She's now believing the same delusion. Well, she's believing well, illusions, she's... but she also has a scene where yeah. she literally hears, uh, you know, him, you know, questioning Pearl and, and then kind of a, running after and attacking her and does nothing about it. Um, yeah. Which is fascinating to me. Yeah. Cause she, cause yeah, there's a scene where, where John and Pearl are in the bedroom, are in their bedroom, and then what's his name comes in and starts talking to Pearl and is excluding John right away, and I think it's actually the cover art for yes, it is the Blu-ray. It it's like that's the scene of the cover art for, and it's really disturbing the way in which he's trying to manipulate Pearl into telling him about where the money is. Like he's he doesn't tell her straight up where's the money, where's the money. He well, he, he uses manipulative language like, oh, you know, you know, we shouldn't be telling secrets. You know, that's a sin. We shouldn't be doing this. Do you have any secrets? It's really creepy well, he, because, you know, the way adults can manipulate children has always been very well, irksome Yeah, to me. I mean, he's, he, he starts out by trying to be funny or be, you know, he's like, well, he, you know, he says like, you know, uh, I'll tell, he's like, tell me a secret. What's your name? And then she thinks that's funny. <laughs> Uh, you know, you know my name. It's Pearl. It's like okay, well, I'll ask for a different secret. You know, where's the money? You know, like, um, and then he, you know, she'll try to say that John's bad. You know, her brother's bad. You know, whatever he says. Yeah, is... he takes her out of the room and takes her downstairs, and 
and we don't see, but we we hear the ADR, we hear the audio of when Shelly Winters is approaching the house, and we see, and this is when, he, like, he breaks character, essentially, and he basically says, tell me where the money is, or I'm going to rip your arm Death. off. And Shelly Winters hears that outside, she must have heard it, and she comes in, and just, she's kind of dumbfounded by it. Like, she doesn't react, she, really. she She reacts by going inside, but then when she gets in there, she is too afraid to actually really protect i mean like she goes after her daughter but that's it right. then after that she's basically in a in shock um she's she's in shock because i think like the veil has been torn down a bit about who harry is but the the issue i have is 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 not is letting this person in their life already and not being fully aware of who they yeah. are and you know, that's not only a movie-making thing. That's something I think we see a lot. Oh, in it's real a real thing. Well. Yeah, I think the movie. I think the movie, in a sense, um, kind of. You know, it, it, in a sense, it would have been nice that there, if there was maybe a good twenty minutes more of this movie to really hmm. give you a little bit more uh, lead up. Like, and and, the, and right. the thing is, is I think that if I'm not mistaken, there is they're going to be making a remake of this. Um, Yes, and yes, and are. I think it was maybe a, a limited series, not a movie. I think it wasn't for like FX or yeah, something. Yeah, maybe I think they're gonna. I mean, they haven't even like casted anybody. They haven't even, you know, announced when it's coming out. Yeah. But I know it's in the works. Yeah, so a limited series um, of this, I think, would do it justice. You yes, because I th- yeah, I think that would be kind of cool to see. Uh, just because you can kind of really amp up the suspense, the manipulation, and, the suspense. You know, like make it like an eight episode limited series i was thinking more like yeah eight or six or six, six to eight, eight yeah or yeah something like that would really amp up the suspense build the characters build the kids out a little bit more really make the atmosphere even more suffocating and isolating than it already is in this movie because yeah, that's the one thing i think becomes really apparent is that these kids are isolated yeah there is nobody who's there to help them yeah they are on their own because because the adults around them I have failed. They're, they're oh, yeah. failures of human beings. I mean, they don't recognize the evil that's a, that should be apparent to them. The kids recognize it, but the adults. Yeah, don't. I mean, they're so consumed. The they're so consumed with trying to survive. Everybody's, you know, you know, trying to survive because you know it's the Great Depression. They're you know, economies in the toilet, um, and you know, Mitchum's character is just the devil walking, walking the amongst them, amongst them yeah. that's doing whatever he has to to continue to survive and keep being evil. Um, yeah, there's also kind of the old adage that children can recognize things that adults yeah, can't sometimes. Yeah. And I think that's very apparent in this movie. So what ends up happening is that very night, Robert Mitchum's character, Harry, like we've said, uh, he kills he kills Shelley Winter's character, Willa. And it's a very, he, very iconic shot. It's a very iconic shot. He basically, he takes out his switchblade and he kills her while she's in the bed. We don't see it happen, but it happens. He cuts her man. throat. And, and this shot, man, is, you know, they're like up in the bedroom and this bedroom has like a, like a vaulted, bless you, uh, has a, has a vaulted ceiling. It's very almost, you know, pointed, very pointed and it's, you know, it's, it's very, the shot is very set up and it's very 
almost just it's very ominous, ominous and you know the the ceilings are completely black and you just really it just it surrounds you know the bed yet again you have the shadows and all yeah that kind and, of and stuff, it, just it's consuming it's a beautiful shot space and then he kind of comes over top of her with the switchblade she sees it come in she doesn't move at all because i think she's just have she's still shocked well, she's in yeah. shock she's and she's i think at this point realized that she's she's fucked <laughs> I, I, one could say that yeah, yes yeah. but what happens is now now robert mitchum wants to get the Basically, he wants to get he wants to get the money that he knows the children have, but he's probably going to kill those kids. Like, there's no there's no doubt about it for me that once he gets his money, he's probably going to kill oh, yeah, those kids yeah. too. Because I don't think he has any sense of like, no, 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 no. He, he didn't care about them. Any problem with murdering children or murdering anyone at all? Um, because th- that's one of the things how. That's one of the horrific aspects of this movie is basically Robert Mitchum's characters trying to murder these children the the entire movie. Yeah. And that's one thing that's truly horrific. And he's trying to chase them. They're hiding in the basement. And then, uh, but, but before that, he goes to those neighbor friend people. He goes back to that candy shop and tells them, oh, she ran off. Yeah. She ran off with somebody. She's been drinking and all that kind of stuff. So he's covering his own he's ass. He's covering his ass. He, and, and creating, creating an alibi. And Really, really and, what he's done is. And they, they fall right into it. They oh, fall yeah. right And really what it. he's done is he's dumped her in the, in the lake with the car. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that yeah. shot. I definitely want to talk about that. And we didn't talk about Uncle Birdie, who's been who's been in a couple of scenes in this movie. Uncle Birdie's the kind of the uh, the old drunk guy hanging out down by uh, down by the river. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 uh, John's kind of have like a he's got like a, a friendship with him. They hang out and fish uh, and they talk about stuff sometimes in the movie. And basically Uncle Birdie said, you know, if there's any problem you ever have, th- just come th- see think me. Think about Home Alone. The movie Home Alone. He's like okay. the neighbor next door that at by the end of the movie, except he doesn't help. <laughs> but yeah. he's the neighbor that hits yeah. the hits the hits the robbers with the shovel. Hits you know Joe Joe Pesci with the well, shovel. That's what you think is going to yeah, happen. Yeah, but it's but not it what happens. And not, not what happens. <laughs> it's more like The Shining, where you know the old man. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, yeah. Where he guy goes all the way. Yeah, comes through the snow, the gets shining. there, and then he gets killed. Yeah, not yeah. I'm not going to spoil yeah. that, but I'll just say. Much different in the book, though. Much different yeah. in the book. Um, so, yeah. So Uncle Bertie is a character who, like I said, lives down by the river. Likes to drink a lot. Likes to have his he just his, likes uh, to fish. Irish coffee, yeah, fishing. and fish and stuff. And then wave at like the boats going by. <laughs> what a but life! He, what a life! What a life! But he, he also, you know, he's had a wife that passed away several years earlier. He keeps a picture of her, so he's kind of a lonely. He's a, he's a widow too. Drunk man. Yeah, he's a widow as well. Um, so I don't know what I was transitioning to that, but basically, um, yeah, Harry kind of, you know, covered his own ass with his, with his, with this alibi, this story, and he's going to be, you know, he's about to, about to attack the kids who are hiding in the basement and the neighbor lady shows up and, and kind of like distracts him for a little while and the kids are all dirty and whatnot. And she's like, Oh, would you like me to? You know, you know, take give them a bath or whatever. He's like, oh no, what? No, no, not at all. Anything like that. He's just trying to get her out of there. But what ends up happening? Just to cut, cut, the, cut. Yeah, to the this is here, where it really it, gets like intense. Like this is when the movie transitions and kind of shifts to the second half of the movie. Uh, the kids escape. Well, I mean, look, kids, I mean, before before that, uh, this particular scene where he questions them 
is I think the most intense of the scenes when it comes to the mm. like because remember he sits him down at the kitchen table and yes. he questions him and and he actually really gets like full on like like I'm gonna slit your throat. Yeah, doesn't he have the knife? Oh, yeah, he, 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 this is when he first kind of really pulls the knife out for the first time in front of them. Um, and he and he's like, you know, this is what I use on uh, meddlers. He's like, yes. he, you know, John's a meddler, and this is what I use on meddlers. And uh, then, you know, uh, Pearl tries to come over and touch it, and he's like, it's like, I don't want you, you, you can't touch that. He's like, I'll get really mad. And, um, you know, John, like, tries to talk, and, 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 and it, it really upsets him, and he yells and slams his hands on the table a bunch of times, and, like, it makes Pearl start crying, and... So then he just tries to fake fake him out and says, "Okay, I'll tell you where the, I'll tell you where the money is." So he tried. Oh yeah, and that he leads him down to the base yeah. because they because uh, they say that it's under, like it's under like one of the tiles yeah, on the floor yeah. or something like that. And they get down there and they're able and they um they like they drop like a shelf on him and whatnot and they basically they run away. Yeah. They they incapacitate him for a little bit and they run away, and they get in, they go down to see Uncle Birdie. Uncle Bernie's passed out drunk. He can't really help Dumbass. him. And yeah, and it's and it just goes to show that like even the good adults around not reliable. can't help. <laughs> you know what I mean? Can't do it. And it's just really they're they're on their own. And they they get in they get in the old uh the old rowboat, the old dinghy, and they head down river or up river or wherever they go. Um and then we just get a kind of we get kind of a montage sequence of them traveling, traveling down this river, and we see a but it, it's interesting how Lawton decided to just use a bunch of animal shots, kind of random. Yeah, like it's there's two bunnies. Yeah, it, and them in the background. There's like a stuff. frog, and there's it's like it's like showing like that. Um, they're now I I don't know if it's like maybe supposed to be symbolizing that, you know that that uh, you know maybe that they're completely on their own or like mm. or like they're gonna i don't know it's it's i don't know what like, the purpose of like it is nature and innocence and peace i guess yeah I, and just natural order of things i'm not quite sure what that symbolized but all we know is that they're traveling down this boat and it's it's not easy for them because they didn't pack anything they just yeah ran they don't out. have no food so they 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 don't have no food so they stop at, like some ladies handing out like potatoes yeah and they get a couple of potatoes, and I know one time like they're traveling past a turtle, and John says, "You know, you can make soup <laughs> yeah, out of that, yeah, but yeah. I, I don't know how." <laughs> and you, you also see uh, Harry uh, getting odd jobs on his way. Yeah, uh, he's like picking fruit and stuff. But what, but what he's also doing, I found this to be endlessly fascinating. He's riling up all of, like he he's preaching his sermon and spreading his his evil misogynistic bullshit ways throughout like the countryside yeah. as he's traveling along so we're just showing that like his evil is spreading yeah you know what i mean like a disease like it's just spreading through uh specifically other men though because that's who are doing this the work you know of like picking fruit and all that kind of stuff so he's spreading the misogynistic you know terrible um ideology if you will to other people as he's traveling. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because we only see like one scene where he's doing it, but it was in there for a reason. Yeah. And I think that's the reason. And what ends up, what happens with the kids though is they, they end up kind of landing 
because they they fall they both fall asleep so they end up kind of landing on this embankment and this woman finds them and this woman well, is portrayed by Lillian Well Gish. there's one there before we get to that there's the one time where they stop and they they see that house and they go stay up in the barn. Oh, yeah, yes. they stay. They, yes, I forgot and, about and the, that. And these yes. shots right here are, are some of the best, the most beautiful shots of the of the movie, where they're going downriver and you get like silhouettes of like I guess the sun's coming up, uh, or or maybe going down, and you see all this d- just heavy contrast of trees and the barn and the, so they go and stay and they sleep in the barn and at some point in the night you hear. Harry and he's now he's picked up on their trail I guess um and he's singing that song he sings a bunch throughout the movie oh my goodness this haunted me after I first saw this movie the leaning song yeah. it's like leaning you can sing it better than uh, I can it, but I'm just... <laughs> leaning on the arm of Jesus something like that mm-hmm. yeah yeah that basically that song they pump into you on on, on Sunday school know, yeah Sunday church yeah, services yeah. where they just they just make you st- stand up but, there and say the same stuff. But in over this and over movie, again. it's 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 kind of like the uh, the Michael Myers theme. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the Michael nice. Myers theme of him singing. Yeah, but it's the Harry Powell theme. Yeah, yeah. And he's and basically he's just this omnipresent, lurking predator of the night, constantly on their heels, and and John sees him in the distance. And and then they and he gets Pearl up right away and they continue running away, yeah. and it's just and he's just you don't even see him you just see his shadow on a horse oh yeah you just see distance. his silhouette not in the distance his and, silhouette and it's haunting yeah. beyond belief because it's just constantly you know you know preying on these it, children it, it's it is kind of like a slasher in a way that it's like you can run as fast as you can but somehow they catch up to you at some point like there's yeah, no they're always there. Yeah. And so they get back in the boat and start heading back down the river again. And that, this is when they run yeah, into Lillian yeah. Gish. And this is when, yeah, so they start staying with Lillian Gish, his character, whose name I'm going to look up right now, so I don't just keep calling her Lillian Gish. Um, and you have Rachel Cooper. And Lillian Gish is an actress who um, was really made, I believe, made famous during the silent era. Yeah. Because her credits go back her credits go from the 1980s back to like 1912 like her credits go pretty deep um and she did a lot in the silent era that i'm aware of and that's where i I first heard about her name and kind of like the golden age of hollywood and you know 30s 40s stuff like that um but of course silent era being you know 20s 20s but yeah so she's in the film and she's plays kind of like this um this woman who takes in orphans. Yeah. And she's and she um she has a bunch of these children who kind of do all the chores on her her farm there and kind of help her um sell sell goods and stuff that they make there, you know, whether it be butter or milk or stuff like that. And what we learn is that she's kind of a she's a she's a tough woman, really tough, strong character, but she's also incredibly caring as well. And it just see, and she's kind of like, almost like the perfect balance of of human of 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 that love and hate, or not even love and hate, but just you know, firmness as well as lightness, and knowing the difference between the two, a perfect balance of 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 what someone should be. Yeah. 
if you will. You know what I mean? She doesn't she, need she, too much in one She direction. reminds me of, if you've ever watched The Walking Dead, Carol from The Walking Dead. Kind of, yes. <laughs> but Carol could go super dark. She yes, in the recent recent she like uh, fought against. She's gotten pretty dark recently, but yeah, I mean, uh, yes, but she she yeah. she was a you know she's a, she obviously uh, loves kids. And she's taking care of a bunch of orphans, basically. True, but she could also be like really like strict. oh, she could be very yeah yeah yeah. yeah like I was saying, she could be strict. But what for me, what she represents the most in the film, she's kind of the polar opposite of the Harry Powell character. Yeah. She, I think, she, where he is pure darkness, she's kind of on the other, um, the other spectrum. Even though I just said that she's more balanced, well, she, she, she's, but I still think she, she, she's his foil. I, I think. think that I think the difference, you know, you know, I think this is an opportunity where it shows a woman that's completely uh, confident in herself in her abilities. Uh, yes, you know, that's that's what the really what her I think her character is supposed to represent is is where we've seen a lot of women who have been weak. Uh, or you know, or have been manipulated or been gaslighted. Uh, she is a woman that has lived a life and and knows that her place and knows her importance, and isn't gonna let somebody tell her otherwise. Um, Not only that, she's independent. Yeah, you know, she's run like you said. She's running her own farm. She's you know she's taking all these children like you said. So she's motherly. She's business like. She's self self sufficient. Yeah, she doesn't need. You know, a man in her life to like help her run things, as as you know, the townsfolk yeah. said in that other. Yeah, town Harry's not going to be able to come needed. in there and, and sweet talk his way. You know, like no, he, he tries. tries though. <laughs> he tries though. It's a really great scene. We'll get to it, but but what we learn is that you know she's got a bunch of different kids in here, a bunch of different age ranges, and um, and it's it's really an interesting aspect of the film. It's it also forms a kind of structure that the kids I don't think have really ha- had in a while <clears throat> or maybe have ever had was that type of house structure yeah. um you know responsibilities and things like that because when we first saw them you know they're kind of off playing by themselves and when we see them again you know after their father dies they're off playing by themselves yeah. there's no real parental structure that we see even with the Shelley Winters character we don't see much of that in the movie yeah. but here we see an abundance of it with with uh with Lillian Gish's character, Rachel Cooper. Um, so what happens is um, Robert Mitchum finds them. He does end up he does end up get, tracking them to that town. And he does end up tracking them to to this house, to the to this family. Um, and the way he does that is yet again manipulation and preying upon women and prey and preying upon. I think in his mind. Their weakness to be duped by him, yeah. by his charm, by his by, but, but, by his ability to tell them what they want to hear. But it's the thing is, is he looks at it as that they're the ones that are are the weak ones because of their they that it's them giving in to hit their promiscuous nature is mm. their their sin. It's not him him doing it. There, his him manipulating him is not the sin. It's them giving into that manipulation that's the sin. Right. So once but, again, but putting the blame of yeah. his own actions on other people. Um, yeah, obviously, but you know, in his own mind, he thinks he's he doing that. He thinks the, he's doing he views the, them as. Well, he views them. He views them as in, as inferior people. Yeah. So he, therefore, he can manipulate them any way he wants yeah. in his own mind. Um, that's what he believes. Um, 
and the way he does that is he goes after um the the the, the kind of like the teenage yeah the teenage yeah. aged um young young woman who's living in in the house like the oldest of all the or, the uh, orphan yeah. children and we in the way in which it's presented to us is interesting because we think that she's meeting one of the other young you know the other young you know boys in the in the town and whatnot but in fact she's meeting with with well, with, he, with Harry. Well, yeah, he, didn't he just kind of show up and like he trails her to like an ice cream shop and then he's just like, hey, you know, like and then like says, can I buy you an ice cream? You know, he, yeah, I, it's really what's what I'm looking for here? messed up. Yeah, and 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 <laughs> really the boys even r- recognize up. it to be kind of weird, and then, and then yeah, it's like no one like this clearly, clearly inappropriate kind of older gentleman is inappropriately, you know, talking with this younger young girl yeah. like it's really unsettling it's really unsettling and we know as viewers that he's doing it for manipulative you know reasons um but lo and behold she's kind of you know her naivete gets the best of her and she tells them and he asks her like you know are there two you know you know anything you, you know they're they're two younger people at your place or whatnot and basically she ends up saying they oh yeah the name of John and Pearl, and then of course he knows that's who sure. that's who he's looking for, and he goes there, and basically he goes there pretending that he's he's their father, and that he's he's been looking for them this whole time. Yeah. They ran away from home. But all the this thing kind of the stuff. thing is 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 John's already told her, uh, you know, uh, Rachel what actually happened mm-hmm. that his parents are dead. It's a scene that happened yes. a little earlier that we missed, uh, where there she's out on the porch and he comes yeah. out and and uh, you know. Kind of just tells her, you know, she asks asks him straight up, like, "What's the story?" You know, and his parents are dead, and that, you know, that's that's about all he can get, she, you know, she can get out of him. So he, she knows that everything he's saying is a lie. Um, that you know, because she believes the kids over this random preacher. She does, which is which is fascinating to me, which is completely the opposite of where the other the other adults have acted where they don't believe the children at all. Yeah. Their own mother didn't believe them, didn't believe them. And and she believes them. <coughs> and so he kind he comes in trying to do the same talk that he's been yeah. doing with everyone else and it doesn't work. Yeah, and then and then he just kind of caves in and he just uh you know, just kind of runs after the kids. Of course, it was a wrong move because then Rachel comes and pulls out a a, a 12 gauge or a, a Yeah, she's got a shotgun. Yeah. And uh, and she pulls it on him. She's just like she's not afraid. She's not afraid to to, to get to get dirty. To get to get to get froggy. To get dirty to, <laughs> damn, she's she's gonna shoot this yeah. guy. <laughs> get off my <laughs> she's lawn. Shoot him. You know. And a Gran Torino esque, but yet again, he's probably never come up against a woman who's pulled a gun on him. Yeah, has fought back against him because he's always probably been in a position of power, yeah. and it's that mindset. And that misogynistic patriarchal mindset that he's probably always lived by, that he's always thought to be true because he's never come up against anything else, and it probably throws him for a loop because he does he does run away. He says he's coming he back. Doesn't, <laughs> but he does come back. He yeah. says, like, I'll be back, you know, when it's dark. And he does come back. <laughs> so basically, all the kids and Rachel kind of hunker down in the house, keeping a lookout, basically, because they know he's coming back, and he does come back. And yet again, the shadows kind of play about his menacing presence and all that kind of stuff as he's 
you know, trying to get infiltrate the house and whatnot. And he's also singing that song again. Yeah, leaning and and he's singing it, and then she starts singing it against him yeah. as if to combat his his will like, of religion because she's a religious person as well. Something that we didn't touch on um, in her talkings with the children and with John <coughs> is that she knows the Bible, she knows Christian teachings, she knows you know you know religion probably as well if not better than Harry does but the difference with her is she's not manipulating it to abuse other people yeah. she's not she's using it she as life le- life that. lessons you know wait ways <laughs> to better yourself taking the parts of of uh, the bible and using the it's you know using it as guidelines uh, she's using uh, it honestly in the way in which i believe it should be used in enriching and caring and you know enriching and you know making people's lives better not abusing them not making them feel like crap not making them you know self hate not making them think that they're going to go to hell if they do this they're going to go to hell if they you know i don't know whatever. listen to an acdc you know? cd yeah listen listen to rock and roll <laughs> music you know what i mean she's not manipulating it to attack people and that's what religion has unfortunately become in a lot of circumstances we see it all the time in politics we see it all the time in in on, online and in people's lives and within people's families people you know in people do all kind of stuff bad stuff in the name of religion and this is not just now they've been doing this stuff for centuries <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> a lot worse back in the day when they used to just have wars over it there's wars over this stuff there's still wars being the, you know that go on today because of religious oh, yeah. reasons and whatnot. So this stuff has been around forever. But just for our purposes here, going back to this, when she starts singing back against him and she's matching him line for line in in the song, but hers is virtuous and his is predatory. I found that to be really fascinating. Yeah. And they kind of match them up where he's in the distance and she's like sitting in the chair and you know the window is. The window shows him in the back, yeah. her in the her in the forefront, and it's really fascinating. And but anywho, he comes into the house and she, I think she shoots him, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. And and he yelps and runs away like runs into the barn. Like, yeah. But but the sound he makes and like the yahooing he he makes of like this you know Wound, someone who's animal. never felt he sounds like someone who's never felt pain before yeah. ever. He's never felt physical pain that we, at, at least that from what I can understand. And so he runs into the barn and then she calls the police and then the police show up and they they apprehend him. But the movie's not over well, there. Well, I was going to say, though, the now the importance in this scene, though, is where we get this kind of like, you know, perfect circle of events. Now, when the cops come and apprehend uh, Harry... And the way they do it, it, it in, in, in John, the little boy's mind, it brings him back to when his father was arrested, which scarred him. Now, yes. though, he doesn't he really. The trauma. Mitchum's not, you know, Mitchum's character's not, not nearly as much of a father figure. I mean, but it's still, you know, his dad had done something bad and got himself arrested, and this guy here that was kind of like his father same thing happens to him and it kind of kind of brings up like repressed memories and it like 
puts him into like almost a panic mode. Um, so that, that, you know, though the thing about that scene for me is I don't know that it's earned. Uh, I don't know how oh, interesting. I, I don't know how earned it feels because it's, I mean, then again, I, I'm, I can com- be completely wrong, but I just don't know that I can believe that you have a trigger in that particular scenario because I don't, I don't, how does, I mean, how, how does he compare Harry to his dad? I mean, I, to me, th- that connection only happens when you actually care about the person, you know, um, he doesn't care about, I, I just thought, I just thought perhaps it could be less about being earned and more about being a, a, a triggering. I, um, I get the trigger, something but something that would trigger those emotions. But the thing is, is also, the emotion, the, 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 the the core of that emotion comes from the fact that he saw somebody he cares about get arrested like that and taken away. Mm. He doesn't care about him. He wants him to be taken away. You know, like he he's bad unless you want to say that uh, his actual father was actually bad to him, and that it rem- makes him think of his father in the same way because his well, father was. I almost I almost feel like it's symbolic. Or I think it's more symbolic of the tr- of um, loss of innocence or the trauma being uh, revi- not revisited but like re-triggering or like I don't know. It just feels like he because John has been kind of like a well, a stalwart yeah. throughout this whole ordeal for the most part. I mean, he's the one who's taken all the actions, protecting his sister sure. and running away and all that kind of stuff. That he kind of breaks yeah, down in this yeah, moment. Yeah, and, and I get that, and I think I understand it. To me, it just, I think, it's one of them things where it's like, when when in film, they want to deal with some kind of psychological issue, but they, mm, they do it at a it. surface level. Uh, it, for instance, and this is something that a lot of people have made fun of, uh, the Justice League, the Batman versus Superman. Oh, you're going to bring, oh, this yeah. is going to get us down so, 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 so the Martha thing. Oh, you're gonna go down. Yeah, this? yeah. Okay. So, so people people have a problem with the Martha thing and how both right. of you know um, the trigger of Batman not killing Superman by saying Martha and that they both have the same names of their mothers stopped him from right. doing an action that doesn't really connect to the to the moment. And and that's and that's what I'm trying mm. to say with this moment is that I can I can understand your rationale behind. It. I mean, I have a whole different. Well, take we're not going to go down that, that spiel. That's that's a much longer. It, it is, but it's road somewhat to go similar. But I understand. I understand the comparison. Yeah, but it's somewhat similar. The emotional, you know, emotionally. Yeah. I think that, that that that's why I don't know that it's earned for me because I think that that right. emotion's connected to his loss of not only his loss of innocence but his loss of his father, and his, this isn't his father. This is somebody that's been bad to him and evil to him why would he suddenly then break down emotionally when right. he gets that this the scene of this man who's been tormenting him for and, you know and we also see that he takes the doll and starts like hitting him, with, him it. with it here take the money and the money, take the money. Flying out. so why does he suddenly now want to give up the doll you know like and give it like i just felt i felt like it was an emotional breakdown I guess I, I guess like I me. just need more of an explanation psychologically because I don't understand why. it per- personally um, the reaction, but that's just that's maybe just something I'm misinformed with. Um, I just felt like it just seemed a little off to me, um, but you know that's something that maybe I can read. Maybe there's something in the special features that I need to I need to. Yeah, there's actually a lot of yeah. special features. It's something I mean that's not something we really get into here just because 
you know, we just talk about the movie directly, but there, the Blu-ray edition from Criterion does have two discs, and the whole second disc is special features. But there's like a 37-minute like making of on on disc one that is really really good yeah. about the movie. Um, but the movie also doesn't end there yeah. because we get kind of like this epilogue scene, if you will, uh, where John is is on the witness stand. It's very brief. It's only a few minutes long. It's not like a whole court scene or anything like that. But he, he can't really. He also can't bring himself to, to testify. Yeah. At the trial, and he, he he they ask him like, "Can you identify this person and whatnot?" You know what we didn't talk about, Stephen, <laughs> is that um, the shot of Shelley Winters in the car, underneath the water. That I wanted to talk about, but I guess it kind of rolls in here because Harry is on trial for murder. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, specifically the murder of the uh, well, yeah, because 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 the, the uh, uncle guy finds it. Yeah, fishy. the old uncle Bertie, who we were who we were kind of crapping on for being kind of drunk and useless, um, did so, see the see the car. Well, you body know what's so water. funny about that? Too, I want to bring up is that for some reason that's the clearest fucking lake water I've ever seen. Oh, it's clear. It's clear as, day. as fuck. It's, you can see to the bottom they, they, of the they, damn they, lake. They, they, yeah, it's clearer than any water I've ever seen in my yeah, life. Yeah, <laughs> somehow you know he gets rid of the gets rid of the car and like the clean like it must have just been poured in there. Uh, also, he, he he didn't do a good job of dumping the car because it wasn't that deep if you could see it from the surface. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Maybe the river itself is just not that deep, but it has to be deep because there were like giant steamboats going. Oh uh, well, that you know and just mean? a car. The car's not you know the car's. It's an old model. It's, T. it's, it's, it's a not, big car, so yeah. it's it, you know it's got to be deep enough. It's to... all made out of metal. Um, it's yeah, but but it's an amazing shot that Charles Lawton decides to linger on of her body underwater, and her, she's like tied to the car, and yeah, it's it's both haunting, beautiful, horrific, and. Yeah, I it's 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 one of the most single beautiful shots of the movie for me, um, because it is all of those things wrapped into one, and the way she is lit, like we said, is like she's illuminated underwater, as if like, as if like there are lights underneath her, like lighting up her whole body. Yeah, and that and that may, and that's how you know Uncle Bertie can see her, but yeah, she they find her body, and I guess that's. What they arrest him on is that murder, and he does go down for it. And what we learn is that she she did get her throat cut, and it's really there was a whole scene where Bertie saw the body, and that's why he went and got so plastered drunk, and why he was so useless to helping the kids out, is because he had just you know seen her in the water. Granted, probably could have called the cops right away; would have helped the situation. Yeah, well, but, he starts to but, think that he, he that it'll get pinned on him, you know. And he also, I think, he was also kind of like probably already in he, someone who's an alcoholic like that is probably drunk constantly yeah. or for most of the time so he probably thought he was seeing things maybe he probably wasn't all there mentally you know aware enough to call the cops right away perhaps it was you know after sobering up the next day he may have he may have done that for all we know yeah. we didn't really see but anywho he does go down for it and Regardless of John testifying or not or whatever it was, um, and lo and behold, guess who? Guess who's showing up leading a lynch mob to get Harry as he's being transported <laughs> the police to to the to I think he was getting transported to the prison or someplace. 
Uh, is uh, the, the the people who were running that candy shop back in that other town, that that lady and her husband, and I'm like, oh, glad you glad you guys decided to show up now. <laughs> you finally real, and they're like, oh yeah, we knew he was terrible all along. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you didn't. You were duped like the rest of them. <laughs> and and basically, they 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 have like this whole lynch mob, and they're kind of like like rioting and stuff and whatnot. Um. But was also was also weird to me is that even though he this guy's a convict a convicted felon and just a horrible murderer human being, the older um the older orphan daughter who was the one who was the key to getting to him finding the other kids was still like enamored by him to the point where she had to be dragged away by by Rachel. Yeah. Did you catch did you catch that or did I just read that yeah, in, improperly? It, it, it's like it's kind of like that whole like Ted Bundy kind of thing, where it's like or like it's like Stockholm yeah, syndrome, Stockholm-y like kind that. of thing, yeah. And and she had to drag drag her away because because it also kind of, well, it also shows like we see things now where like like cult leaders, like how people even after the whole you know even after the situation, some people can't can't disassociate themselves with the cult leader because they were so, you know, invested, so mentally locked into all the the bullshit that they were saying and all the whatever that they can't disassociate themselves with it. You know, you, you see that in a lot of documentaries and, you know, stuff like that nowadays. But I'm just saying, that just feels like it a lot. It feel, That's what it felt like. But we get another scene that really end the film on a positive note, and it's a Christmas It's a this Christmas, is a Christmas scene. movie, yeah. It's a Christmas movie. Uh, it ends on Christmas. Um, yeah, and yeah. So basically, John and Pearl are with the you know they're still with Rachel and the other kids. So the other kids are, they get their presents and whatnot. And then John gets a watch that he's been that he was looking at earlier on in the movie, and that was his present from Rachel. And they have a nice like heartwarming ending to the movie. And then she kind of does Probably, a whole. Then yeah. she kind of does like a break the fourth wall, kind of like talk to the camera that you know that there's good in the world, basically. You know, kind of. I don't remember what she exactly says, but right, right. But it's basically and then yeah, that can light can defeat dark kind of thing. Um, yeah. Good will always defeat evil. Yeah, that stuff that yeah that we've talked about before. But that is how the movie ends, and yeah, there's a lot to dive into in an hour and a half movie. Yeah. And it's it was it captivated me the first time I saw it. I think I've seen it. I think I haven't seen it as as much as I probably think I have, but I think I've seen it about three or four times yeah. as well. Um, yeah, Robert Mitchum is is kind of the first Robert Mitchum Robert Mitchum role that I ever saw, and I've been a big fan of his ever since. And Shelley Winters, I think, is a great actress as, as well. Shelley Winters, for those of you who don't know, she was in um, lots of lots of well-known films. She was in um, The Poseidon Adventures. She was in A Patch of Blue. She was in um, Lolita, which was directed by Stanley Kubrick, uh, in a similar ill-fated role of manipulation as uh, similar to The Night of the Hunter. I always kind of felt... Like she was playing similar roles in both that film and this film, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And she she won two Oscars as well. Um, she won 
for Best Actress in Supporting Role in A Patch of Blue, and she won an Oscar for The Diary of Anne Frank, a film that came out in 1960. I think this is the... Yeah, this is the George Stevens film. Yes, it is. And, yeah, so that is The Night of the Hunter, one of my favorite movies. Um, But before we go, uh, Stephen, do you have a pick for next time? Yeah, um... I actually wasn't very prepared. I forgot Uh-oh. to pick something, so I kind of during the episode was coming up with something. Oh, you pulled a to you, yeah. Nice. Um, and nice. so I figured out, you know, we've we've kind of done, um, you could say somewhat more subtle horror. Um, mm. And so I figured we should give them a, we'll give them a, a hardcore horror movie, so, nice. some something that's, I mean, not necessarily full on like. You know, like a heart, like what you would consider, but something that's like maybe very gory and very extreme compared to what we've been we've been talking about. So I'm gonna challenge us to to watch the movie, the Siberian film. No, I'm just kidding. Um, oh, damn. <laughs> no. Um, I know where you were going, no, but... but something that's pretty, I would say, pretty horrific uh, in its in its own right. Um, oh, 2010s. I saw the devil. Oh my sweet. <laughs> Goodness gracious! This is a this is a South Korean film, um, and it's basically about uh, you know this this agent who is getting looking for getting a revenge on this serial killer that killed his wife, um, and it's 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 epically gory. Oh my yeah. goodness! I'm gonna have to gear up for this yeah. one. I don't mind gore, but this was a movie, man. It's it's pretty <laughs> rough. After I watched it, I was like, I don't know if I can see this. Well, again. too bad. But, but <laughs> I know it's too bad. It's not like it's. I mean, I've had there are certain films I've seen that I'm like I can never watch this again. Yeah. I mean, I've always got like that list of movies that are just that traumatizing. I saw The Devil's not quite on it, but it's a movie that I always tell people. And if you want to get, you want to see some gore, you want to, you know, like really. It, see it, a movie. It, it's disturbing. You see that movie. It, it, the the violence yeah, is very, movies. very you know shot in a way that's just very just blunt, and just very blunt. You see everything. Kind of in the vein of like Ichi the Killer audition. It feels like it's in that very much yeah. that category for me, the way I viewed it. Um, yeah, I remember buying this movie on Blu-ray, and I had to show my ID when I bought it, and I've never <laughs> had to ever show an ID to buy a movie, like I. Yeah, and I bought many movies from this same store and never had to show my ID. <laughs> I was way over 18 at the time. I was in my 20s or whatever. But still, they made me show the ID because it is, I think, it ends, is it NC-17? Uh, I would assume it is. It's, a, it's an, I mean, or an unrated film um, for the States. Um, yeah, it's. let's see. I Saw the Devil. Yeah, yeah it just says not rated. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. There you go. Yeah. Unrated because it's probably a movie uh, that didn't reasons. get probably much of a release in theaters in the states, but later on, once it got a release, it was it was probably started to get more popular. I, I think this is a pretty well known Korean film uh, that you know most people have, have I think of a lot of people have have seen. Um, right. It's gotten its way around. Um, yeah, you know, we, we've talked about Korean cinema before briefly when we did Old Boy. Yeah. Um, so it's in the it's in the vein of old boy. Yeah, it's got some of that flavor. I would say it's a little bit more more extreme. Uh, the yes. violence is old way boy more was, extreme. 
yeah old boy is a horrific film but it's but for many other reasons other than you know graphically gory yeah you know yeah that's like a psychological horror this is like a literal like horror this is yeah um, serial killer like the, the way the movie i just remember the way the movie opening was really traumatizing yeah it's traumatizing movie. um yeah but yeah we will go down we will go down that we will go down hole. that road but um if that's uh, that's going to be an interesting um show for us pronouncing the names of the actors shit. and characters yeah i'll work on that try my we will try our yeah, best yeah we will try our best but you know us um you at least know me <laughs> but um right. that'll be it for this episode where can we find you andrew you can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can find me on Instagram at Cinema Discovery Project or on Letterboxd at Cinema Discovery. You can find the audio for this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. Thank you for listening, and hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will.